Welcome to the House on Fire podcast. Our aim is to light a fire for Jesus in the homes of those who listen through encouragement and equipping. Let's partner together to advance the gospel in the next generation. I am your host, Lucas Jackson, and I am passionate about seeing more people on fire for Jesus. When you listen to the House on Fire podcast, you'll hear from people you can rub shoulders with every week at Bethel Church, because all of our guests are from our church family. These are people striving to love God, love others, and to serve the world. Thanks for joining us, guys. And uh, in this episode, we have Matt and Julia Solom. Is this your last name right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm really good at saying names wrong. So, <laughs> so anyway, thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm. Glad to have you guys. And so Thank you. Uh, as we dive in, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and maybe your household so we kind of get an idea of who you guys are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Matt here. My wife is Julia. And uh, we've been coming to Bethel for about a couple of years now. And we go to the main campus in Fargo. And uh, we've been married for about three years and followers of Christ for about two years. So today we're talking about becoming new Christians and kind of excited to dive into that as we're pretty fresh in that game. Yeah, for sure. And what do you guys do for work? I work at the Air National Guard. Awesome. And then, Juliet, what about you? Yeah, I'm a counselor at Valley Christian Counseling here in Fargo. Yeah. Yeah. And I... To my understanding, uh, there's a quite the wait list in the Christian count, or even I mm-hmm. guess in the Christian, or not just Christian counseling, but the counseling world in general. Yeah. So I mean, you guys are what six months out? Depends on the provider. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so mm-hmm. awesome. Well, stoked to have you guys. No kids. No kids. No, nope. and any animals? I always feel about no animals. To ask. Okay, All just right. plants. Just wow. Okay, how many plants are we talking? Like a lot of plants? Maybe like twenty five. Whoa. Well, there's a lot of babies. You just saw. Yeah, but I did not All see the little babies 25. What? <laughs> yeah. Was it like my little bitty guys here? Like, Yeah. I mean, how's over your house? What? Like we have, we have one bowl on our main table <laughs> that has like 15 all in itself. Okay. Oh, the, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm just used to it. My mom had lots of plants. Mm-hmm. I felt like everyone was like in a five-gallon bucket size thing. So in oh. my mind, I'm like, I did not see 25 plants Mm-mm. at your guys' house. Mm-mm. Anyway, sorry. My bad. Yes, I did remember the bowl on the table. Yeah, and I think you correctly identified them as succulents. So oh, yeah, nice. and then I quickly said, "I'm embarrassed that I know that word." <laughs> <laughs> Actually, which is fine. My wife the other day, uh, she went to someone's house and she like I don't know made cards or knitted or something, and Cute. she's like, "That's like what old people do." I and love I'm it. like, "Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're old. I don't know." Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so it's all good. It's all good. So um, so main campus here, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, usually uh, 9 a.m. or 10:45 service. You guys usually go to. Uh, recently both. Okay. Well, you guys are at the prayer time. Yeah. yeah. I haven't been since we kind of started kids ministry stuff back up because mm-hmm. I'm with fifth grade. Um, but, uh, you guys go to both. Wow. You go, yeah. you sit through both services. Yeah. yeah Cause the I've... prayer service is before church. And then we have some friends that go to the 10, uh, yeah. 1045. Yeah. Okay. But so. yes, but also we've just been real hungry to, yeah. to worship. And so. Cool. It doesn't feel like a chore yeah. or yeah. like we're waiting around for, for friends. So, so you're like double good. dipping a little bit here. Yeah, we are. Yeah. It's awesome. So that means you get to meet like twice as many people. That's I, true. Yeah. Uh-huh. It sounds like a great idea. It's a great idea. I definitely mm-hmm. encourage it. Man. Sorry, my mind's thinking. I'm like, how many more people would I, would I meet and get to hang out with? And mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. I love it. I love it. Uh, what life group or discipleship making group are you guys? I think you you have one at your yeah, house. We do. Yeah. Right. I think Tuesday we're, nights. Yeah. Yeah. Is it weird that I know all these details about your life? No, it's no. good. I didn't know if that's creepy or not. I feel no. really known. Okay, good. <laughs> Seen. In a non-creepy way? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, good. Um, so uh, is it made up of like people in your stage of life or is it multi-generational? Is it a bunch of, you know, I don't know. What, what's what's your uh, life group made up of? A little of both, but right yeah. now it's uh, mostly people in mid-20s to 30s. It seems. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, a couple outliers, but yeah. yeah, single and coupled. Yeah. Kind of all over. Yeah. Awesome. And you guys, are you guys taking, you have space for more people in your group? So if yeah. people are listening, they're like, I want to be in Matt and Julia's group. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So. Come find us. Both services. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. Now I'm just thinking like t-shirt ideas. I'm thinking of all kinds of things right now. But I, anyway, sorry. I should focus. My bad. My bad. Well, today the conversation, as Matt, you alluded to, is like becoming a new Christian. Um, and there's so many implications to this. And so that's kind of what we're going to dive into specifically today. And so becoming a new Christian has a lot of assumptions. So what does this mean to become a new Christian? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically it means that you've repented of your sin and you've put your faith in Christ. Define repent. Sorry. Mm -hmm. There's all this terminology that, that, um, is actually really important. Yeah. And and yet we don't maybe I mean we don't have time to describe. But I guess when you're sharing your faith or whatever, you don't have mm-hmm. time to describe every term. But mm-hmm. for the sake of our time here, what does it mean to repent? Yeah, turning away from your sin, turning away from yourself, from being kind of inward, and turning toward God, and starting to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the whole like depend upon yourself, look within, all mm-hmm. of those kind of phrases that. The culture would embrace, and some Christians would would really be false. Yeah, yeah, correct. And and I mean, it's a slight thing. It's not like it's a, but it does hint towards the like the whole even the whole like better knock on wood kind of thing. And I'm like, mm, okay, mm-hmm. like I'm not saying you're like yeah. demon possessed or anything, but I'm like, sure, <laughs> that that conveys. Yeah, I don't want to jinx it. Yeah. Even like, I, maybe this is bold, but like, uh, lucky or yeah. circumstance. For sure, mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. So, uh, so to come back to becoming a new Christian, a new believer is to repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus. Is that all that somebody needs to do in order to be a genuine follower of Christ? And this is not a true question, but mm-hmm. just yes. Um, we tell me a little bit more, Matt. I, so you're saying you agree? <laughs> so tell me more. Tell me more. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, you could explain those things more, but that's yeah. really it. So that that's all that's that's required of a, of a, of somebody in order to become a genuine follower of Jesus is just that they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Yeah, and then everything's going to change. But okay, that's all that <laughs> starts the process for sure. And yeah. for you specifically, that was two years ago, right? Yeah. And Juliet, was that around? I forget. Yeah. You you, you both grew up in church, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Okay, but so maybe lean in, give us give us a little bit of history here mm-hmm. about each of you, just upbringing. You just, that, that I think that'll probably help our conversation a little bit. Absolutely. I grew up, yeah, going to church. Um, it was a Lutheran church and more the infant baptism confirmation model, like confirmation of baptism. But when I went through that process, it's not individualized. Everybody goes through it at the same time. And 
when I went through it, I didn't believe any of it. And I was actually an atheist <laughs> so towards why, the end of it. Why were you in this class? Why were you going through confirmation? Why were you forced to? Everybody went. When you turn like, it depends on the church, but like, oh, you're in 10th grade or, oh, you're in seventh grade. Now everyone's in confirmation. So, so I didn't grow up Lutheran. Actually, I could barely spell the word. That's mostly me because I'm terrible spoiler. But so I, I say that because I have no idea. Sure. I hear things, and and where and where I grew up, there, I don't think there was any Lutheran churches. Sure. You know, and doing ministry in Texas and stuff. Like I don't, I don't recall maybe one or two. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, but he, where we're at in Fargo, Moorhead, and and I mean, technically, I guess Midwest, I guess would be where we're at. But we're like mm-hmm. north of normal, I guess, was really the right <laughs> phrase. But so, what does that mean, though? Like, I don't like. Is that confirmation and all of that, like you do that at a certain age or yes. so what age does that take place? I was uh, in 10th grade. I think it was I a little confirmed. earlier for me. Okay. Maybe ninth grade. Okay. Unsure. But it was this process that the Lutheran church has to help you figure out what you believe. It's yeah. intended to, because there's no believers baptism, it's intended to kind of replace that. You're confirming your infant baptism. That's what confirmation yeah. is. Like so, with infant baptism, it's kind of like child dedication at our church in some ways. Okay, uh, parents come before God and before the church, and yeah. everybody makes promises on behalf of the child to raise up the child in godliness, to know Scripture, okay. to know Jesus, um, and those promises are made. And then um, around confirmation time. Um, it usually it is like middle school, high school in okay. churches that are in those kind of churches that do confirmation. Um, you go through a few years of classes trying to learn about doctrine and faith and what that all means. Okay. I think it is genuinely in good faith to yeah. like provide you with the information that you need to know so that you can confirm the, that this faith is yours now okay. that the people made your parents, the church made these promises to raise you up and you're saying, Hey, yeah, I get it now. Yeah. I'm also claiming this faith is mine. Okay. Okay. So for you, you were like an atheist. Yeah. When you were doing going through that. Yeah. Okay. And then what about you, Julia? Grew up in the church. Was Lutheran church as well? Yeah, I was in the Lutheran church as well. Okay. Um no, I was not an atheist. I oh boy, it feels hard to kind of unpack a little bit. Yeah. Um yeah, I I was I knew God loved me my entire childhood. Um and I think a lot of it is challenging because so much of it was people pleasing. I really wanted to follow the rules. I wanted to do the right thing. And yeah. um, I knew that being Christian was the right thing. And so really trying to be involved in church and um, serving and confirmation, all the things. Um, but I did have a genuine belief and faith in Jesus um, at that time. I did. But then um, I don't. I didn't understand fully what the gospel was, though. Yeah. Like I didn't know about sin, really. Um, well, or, is, it, is that because it wasn't really talked much about? Or maybe that was just, my experience. That was your experience. Yeah, okay. sin I, there wasn't was a, a big topic. A heavy emphasis on God's love in my okay. childhood. Okay. Um, not much on sin or depravity, which is kind of you need that too. Um, yeah. But. I don't know if I'm willing to say it wasn't talked about. Sure. I think it could have been me and yeah. just like not being open to hearing that. Yeah. Um, but certainly not talked about in the ways that I've heard it in recent years where okay. it really like got a hold of me. Um, 
Yeah. So going back to the original question of kind of like, what's your face story? I'll just kind of continue on from confirmation. If yeah. that's yeah, good. That's great. Um, so yeah, in, as I was kind of talking about the people pleasing stuff and, um, or they're trying to do the right thing through college or through high school, I was maintaining this image of good Christian girl yeah. and, um, uh, but really living deep in sin and not pursuing a relationship with God in any deep way, not being prayerful, not reading the Bible, yeah. um, just doing what I'm supposed to do. And so that really took a dark turn in college um, and things got, uh, deeper deeper in sin and more complicated as I was going into adulthood and out into the world. And, yeah. um, and so there was a, re a rejection of God in a lot of ways. Um, I never went full atheist, but I tried on a lot of different hats and tried on a lot of different religions and um, just was really exploring. Um, yeah. Yeah. And somewhere in there we met. Yeah. And I had been an atheist yeah. from about the time I was 14, which is about when confirmation was happening, yeah. to, well, after we met too. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was also, I think it wouldn't be too far to say that everything that I was doing was for me at this mm -hmm. point, mm -hmm. Yeah, which would be natural for an atheist. It doesn't really, there isn't a moral system, there isn't accountability, ultimately, and why not do everything for you? Yeah. And even the things that you do that appear to be for other people are ultimately also for you. Yeah. So you look good or so you, I don't know, to yeah. build a relationship that you want, but mm -hmm. it's still for you. It's not for the right reason, even if you're doing good things. Sure. At least that's how it was for me. So so a few years ago, so you went from, from death to life, so to speak, to use biblical yeah. terms. And so what, what was the circumstances where you came to this realization where you actually became a new believer, you became a Christian mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or a follower of Jesus, you know, um, what was that? What, what, what parameters or, or how did that come about? Mm -hmm. I think it really started when we started dating and we started yeah. having our sins kind of run into each other and hurt each other. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and that really started to make us aware of sin is bad Yeah, and we have it. Yeah. yeah, and then in premarital counseling, we uh, learned about our spirituality as kind of an aspect of our relationship that was lacking, yeah. mm -hmm. that hadn't been discussed, that was minimal in our relationship, and we decided to explore that a little bit further. And part of that was reading the Bible, and that really kind of took things to the next level of illuminating sin in ourselves and. Also for me, being atheist was very intellectual. It was in my head. And a lot of the arguments that I had started to be taken apart by just reading the Bible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just doing that. That's all it took mm -hmm. for a lot of it. Yeah. So so a couple of years ago, so you premarital counseling and that were you doing that with Pastor Jonas? No. Okay. Mm -mm. okay. We were doing that at uh my uh childhood church, okay. actually. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then did that was that the parameters that God used for that person to kind of walk you through how to put your faith and trust in Christ? No, mm -mm. it was just a that stirred kind of up. an encouragement to, hey, look into this area okay. of your yeah. life. Yeah, it's yeah. lacking. Yeah. And honestly, like, yeah, she had a strong encouragement, but I was freaked out because going back to all this like 
hey, this is what a good person does. And this is like what it takes. I was like, oh my gosh, like I haven't, I'm not doing the right thing. And like, I wanted to have, I was freaked out about marriage and kids. And so I think that like kind of jolted me out of, and we had been, as Matt said, like there had been changes that had happened because of our sin. We were trying to fix it on our own. And in some ways things started to get better, but like not healed. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Awesome. So this is kind of uh, becoming a new believer Mm-hmm. or follower of Christ or whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is a, a new journey that you guys are on. Yeah, the last yeah. three years. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that was 2020 when we started reading our Bibles together. Yeah. And um, then the that was like a slow drawing for sure. We ended up joining a Bible study too uh, and like didn't believe yet. And so it's just wild how God can like convict you when you're yeah. not under his grace to like, hey, read my word and join a Bible study. You're like, what? Like, there's an atheist doing that. That's so cool. Yeah. Did um, the people, we were, sorry, was the people in the, in the Bible study, did they know that you guys weren't believers? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they, so they were, so they knew and they were like, hey, come study the Bible with us. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was on Zoom online. Okay. And so it was people like mostly on the East Coast. Okay. A friend of mine from college invited us. Uh, so we, we were actually in that Bible study for three years. It was, such a solid part of wow. us growing in faith. Um, so just like super grateful for that. But that was the first um, kind of part of like godly community that we had and um, discipleship really, but yeah. kind of bringing us into discipleship when it was mostly evangelizing, I suppose in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but then that spring I had conviction to uh, start looking for a church and so we tried out a lot of different churches in Fargo area and nothing was really clicking. We were going with what we knew. So we were trying different Lutheran churches. Um, and then I, I got frustrated. I was like, this is taking too long. Um, how, long how long is too long? A few months. Okay. And we tried just a handful of churches, but I was like, we should have this by now. And you're going like somewhere every week. It's not like yeah. you were yeah. You know, yeah. going once every month or whatever. Yeah. And, um, but it was also during COVID time. And so it was kind of awkward. There was like a delay in trying it out. Um, so I Googled best church in Fargo. (laughs) No Here we are. (laughs) That is what happened. It is what happened. (laughs) It was Bethel's highly rated on Google and the reviews were great. And we were like, Let's check it out. So is this where we should tell the listeners you need to go and rate? <laughs> go review on Google. Go review Bethel's It works. Church. It brings people to Christ. There you go. Well, I mean, the Lord redeems everything. So yeah. uh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so yeah. funny. It is worth noting through this period of kind of being drawn by the Holy Spirit and starting to read our Bibles, joining this Bible study, getting into Christian community, we were still growing in sin in ways. So yeah, that is true. not enough. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was really... Towards the end of this, it was after, for me at least, after we had started coming to, the, to Bethel a couple months where I was solid on what the gospel was through reading the Bible and hearing it preached here. Yeah, I was solid on my sin. I believed that I was a sinner, that I deserved a death penalty mm-hmm. for that sin, that God was holy, mm-hmm. and that was why I deserved that death penalty, mm-hmm. and that Christ had taken that death penalty onto himself for me and offered me the free gift of eternal life. And that was the moment things that actually changed when I accepted that in faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, 
So you've been a believer a couple of years? Yeah. And then you, you as well, Julia, about the same time you came to faith? Yeah, I don't have the same kind of like turning point moment that sure. Matt remembers. Yeah. Um, it just really felt like over the last three years, everything changed. But it, it did dramatically change the fall that we found Bethel, fall of 21. Uh, I just would weep every single service, just broken open, just undone. Like, oh my, like I cannot yeah. believe what I've been doing. And Jesus is the only way. I was so convinced. And so yeah. I think that really was the point of like starting to genuinely surrender. Um, I don't know. I can't remember the moment of salvation, but I remember the moment yeah. of like, okay, Lord, here's my life. For sure. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Well, so becoming a new Christian has lots of assumptions. And so we talked about what that means. So putting your faith and trust in Christ, and that is sufficient enough for someone to be a, a genuine follower mm-hmm. of Christ. Amen. You know, right? Okay. Is there a better terminology or a phrase that we could or should use instead of Christian? And I'm not saying that it's sinful or wrong, but terms can get diluted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess different terms throughout history probably become diluted or changed or developed, which is, you know, why we have new. Uh, translations of the Bible, you know, just because mm-hmm. language develops. So what would what would you say to, what would be the best phrase currently right now to use in order to describe somebody who is a genuine follower of Jesus who has put their faith and trust in Christ? I think this is a little bit of a weird question <laughs> in that I don't see anything wrong with the term Christian. Yeah. It's in the Bible, Acts 11, Twenty-six. Mm-hmm. Do you want now, to read that for us, homie? I'll just read the part that's relevant at the end here. The yeah. disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Yeah. It's yeah. in the Bible. So cool. so it, it wasn't like, you know, people got together like, you know, what well, should we call ourselves? Like, well, you know. <laughs> right. So Paul kind of helps us out here a little bit yeah. with that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, okay. I do get, though, that people can have like church hurt somewhere. Yeah. And that's then there's like an association with the word, the yeah. term Christian. And that they can associate hurt with that. Yeah. yeah. But I think the thing to do is to kind of separate being a Christian from somebody who wasn't being a Christian when they yeah. or even gave more, hurt. Even, I don't maybe this is even more gen, general, like separating the church from Jesus. Like the church is a beautiful gift that God has given us to be in godly community. And like we're his bride, like it's beautiful. It's a, it's a, thing to be exalted and, and celebrated. Um, but Jesus is not the church. The church is full of sinners that are going to hurt people. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. What What is a person doing or committing to if they are becoming a Christian? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, because it, it, scripture is clear. It's a free gift. Mm-hmm. So you can't earn it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment you become a Christian does not mean that you have complete freedom to do whatever you want. Actually, technically, according to Romans, we don't have freedom at all. You're either a slave to sin mm-hmm. as a non, non-believer or you're a slave to righteousness. Yeah. So in reality, we're all a slave to something, mm-hmm. if you like it or not. Just slavery to Christ actually brings freedom. Mm-hmm. So what things is is a, somebody committing to if they're becoming a Christian? And, they, and And you probably didn't even fully understand what all those things were. And I sure no, I did not. Didn't. And I'm still. There's even aspects where I'm still growing and understanding things that I need to be committed to. Yeah. 
I'm going to start with the good things because okay. you're committing to good things oh, and then you're committing to hard things that are not bad yes. things, okay. but they're give, hard things. Give me the good things. Okay. You're committing to turning from sin. You're committing to being sanctified, to being made holy like yeah. God. You're committing to eternal life and a wonderful relationship with God for eternity. You're committing to hope in this life for that salvation and a relationship with God that starts now in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, sealing that so that you know that you have that. Mm-hmm. You're committing to a ton of good things. Yeah. And then you're committing to things that are not bad, but they are hard. Yeah. So you're committing to suffering for the gospel. So with that, you're committing to obedience to everything that God has commanded. You're committing to as a part of that suffering, enduring jeers from people if they think it's silly. You're committing to people who are sinning against you, not sinning back towards them, enduring suffering. It's uh, hard things, but the the hope is greater than the hard things. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, it... Um... I like how scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not in the sense that you're earning it, but it, like you're contemplating if, if you are a genuine follower of Christ, you're contemplating, okay, have I put my faith and trust in Christ? Is there evidence of my faith and trust in Christ? And there's, I remember a student, I was actually trying to talk out of becoming a Christian, which maybe sounds bad, but I felt the need. My point <laughs> with the conversation was like, I need you to understand this was Paul Baltoy actually was his name, a student. Um, I go, I need you to understand this, this salvation is free, but it will cost you a whole lot in your life. And what yeah. I meant by that is you're not going to have the freedom to do whatever the heck you want the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot of biblical values that, that are now going to have to define your life if you commit to this. Um, and so it was important for me to try to convince him to not be a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I get that at least. There um, is a, a beauty of, one of the, uh, there's so many both ands in life but like it both it both costs nothing in some ways because jesus t- takes on all the cost yeah. and it costs everything because your entire life is going to be changed and flipped upside down yeah and you have to be obedient to that to, to obey god is to love god and we get to out of the love that we received bring it back to him and, and through our good works not to earn but yeah to exalt what would you say to somebody who was like, you know, Matt, Julia, that sounds great for you, but mm-hmm. you have no idea how horrible of a human being I am. Mm. How could God ever, you know, why would he ever want me? Um, and everybody who ever, who's ever thought that or said that is probably thinking differently in terms of their horrible person, probably certain things that they would mention if that would define that. But what would you say to somebody if they were to say that to you? Um, yeah, I've had somebody say that to me and not exactly those words, but in definitely the meaning of it. And I felt that at times kind of in the process of coming to be a Christian, I felt that. And I would go to Paul's words. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the verse exactly right now, but he says that he was the worst of sinners. Yeah. He persecuted the church. He, um, killed Christians or approved of their their murder. Mm-hmm. He had massive evidence 
for Christ right before his eyes, and he denied it all. Yeah. And then God chose him. <laughs> yeah. That's enough. Yeah. Well, it, so it makes me think, so I, as a student, pastor, student guy, I get, I get told often, hey, apologetics is super important, mm-hmm. which I think it is. How to defend or communicate why we believe it, that's, that's pretty important. We, we, kids ask that all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel like it, as we grow older and get older, we stop asking the why so much. You know? mm-hmm. And maybe not everybody does that, but just generally speaking. And so um, when it comes to our faith and when people say, well, Lucas, I think apologetics is the most important thing to try to help convince somebody else mm-hmm. how to... And I think there's good intentions. I think there's no maliciousness in that in those statements. I think their desire is like they're trying to communicate. We need to understand what we believe, and we need to be able to communicate that, which I think is important. But yet, I don't think me saying something specifically correct is going to convince you to be a follower of Jesus specifically. Right. Right. Because then that no. puts the de- that 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 says that I am somehow God is dependent upon me. Yeah. And my words to lead. You yeah. to faith. Yeah, then you and, become the savior. Yeah, and I don't think they're saying that, but I disagree with that. I think apologetics is important. Yes. But I do not believe that apologetics is the answer for us to somehow evangelize the world in order to get them to drag them out of, out of hell into heaven with us. So what would you, you know, kind of say to somebody who, you know, well, I don't have the exact words or, you know, especially as an atheist or, excuse me, uh Recovering atheist? Was an atheist? <laughs> atheist is Recovered. In, recovered. There we yeah. go. Recovered. I like that term better than recovering. Anyway, uh-huh. so kind of what would be your thoughts that you would say to somebody who would express those kind of things? So many thoughts. I I love apologetics. Um, I'm super interested in learning more about why we believe what we believe, the solid foundations of evidence for all of Christian doctrine, belief, the Bible, God, everything. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. But this is a huge but. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work in the person, and God's word is enough. Amen. Already, yeah. So i I go back to like Hebrews four twelve, the the word of God being a double edged sword that uh, cuts to the division of joint and marrow, and so on and so forth. Yeah. God's word will do the work for you. Like if you can just share that with somebody, if you can encourage them to read it. Mm-hmm. Or and memorize the Holy Spirit, it. <laughs> or memorize it. Yeah, the Holy Spirit will do work too. And it, yeah. there is value if somebody has a genuine question about something to put forth good faith effort in answering it mm-hmm. apologetically. Yeah. But I think that circumstance is rare. And the more frequent circumstance is somebody who is blinded by their own sin and isn't going to ask that kind of question in good faith and just kind of needs to be exposed to sin and sinfulness and kind of the pain of that and the, the rawness of that. And I think God's word does a good job of that, of exposing that. And I think the Holy spirit does a good job of drawing you to, to God. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. Uh, I think where my mind goes with that person that we've made up, um, is shame like oh that's such a shameful response of like oh yeah maybe the lord could do it for you or for someone else but not me yeah. um and 
maybe it's my counseling background that makes me want to dig into that that shame. Um, but also, I think that's such a sneaky form of pride. And yeah. depending on the person, depending on where they're at, I think we can call that out. Like, hey, yeah. your your insecurity, your shame, all of that is pride because you're deciding what's true about you. You're deciding what's true about God. And you're not allowing God to speak to that. And you, so you're putting yourself above God. Um, pride, idolatry, like pretty big sins. And if someone is, depending on where they're at, they might be receptive yeah. to hearing that. And it might kind of pull back the I don't veil and be like, oh, I, yeah, I need to humbly come before God. Yeah, for sure. I think I was saying uh, earlier this week in our small group, and I think this is true, that if there is shame that's keeping you from the truth of something God said or a command of his, that shame is rooted in sin. If yeah. there's a shame that leads to repentance and coming into alignment with what God says, that's a good, that's a godly shame, a yeah. godly sorrow. Yeah. Oh, that makes me think of... Uh... I wonder if I can find it quick. I think it's First Corinthians, First Corinthians seven ten. We'll see if that's right. Yeah. Well, I think it's just super important for there. There are things that the Lord is going to use to bring conviction upon us that push us or guide us to Him and His Word and His truth. And that's always the identity that that's going to bring always going to be true and I think all always is going to be freeing mm-hmm. even though if it's hard like you know the um R- Romans has a as a passage that's that's scary to me it says how like um uh nobody seeks after God and and we all we are worthless in the eyes of God yeah is the phrase now I want to d- dive into the Greek of that specific word because uh-huh. I don't think I'd ever tell somebody that but I know that apart from having a relationship with God through Christ, I have no hope. Mm-hmm. So yeah. however you define it, yeah, the the reality is the end result is the same. Yeah. And so anyway, so allowing the scripture to define us. Yeah. The passage there, it's Second Corinthians seven ten. I was so okay. close. Um, I love this scripture. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. I I think it really does speak to what you're talking about with the the shame. We have a choice. Like shame comes up as a natural response to things that happen, and and we get a choice of how we want to respond. Do we want to sit yeah. in worldly sorrow and, and feel misery and throw a pity party and and shameful and allow the enemy a foothold in, into that, yeah. or do we want to go right back to the Father and and say like, hey, here you go. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. I think what I was saying does speak to that, that the mechanism that worldly sorrow has that leads to death is keeping you from some truth or command of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. This may be a strange question, but what does it mean biblically to be a new Christian? Which it's almost like you can't separate faith in Christ from the scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, but there'd be many people who would define this differently or look at it differently for a variety of reasons. And it's not that there's anything wrong with the scripture. It's our interpretation of the scripture. That's the problem because it's, because it's not, 
I mean, it, it wasn't written specifically to us, but it's written for us. Hmm. And so, so there's some cultural implications. We've got to, okay, well, well, this word may not, you know, when Jesus got in a boat, he didn't get in a pontoon boat and start the motor <laughs> and zipped across. Yeah. Like, that's not what he did, you know? So, but that's how we, we are presuppositions of scripture. And so, so what does it mean biblically as in based off scripture to be a new Christian? And you've hinted on some of that, but just want to kind of flesh that out a little bit more detailed, mostly so I can pick your brain on some other questions. So mm-hmm. go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I would go to Acts for that and uh, look to the examples there of new Christians for what it means to be a new Christian. And I think the common thread there is that it's somebody who hears the gospel, understands it, and responds to it. And then usually they get baptized. Well, every time just about that I can think of in Acts, they get baptized pretty much right away or as soon as they can. So so they hear the gospel. Yep. They understand the gospel and they respond. Yeah. And that response is usually baptism and acts to kind of be a public profession that they understood it and now are saying that they believe it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. Would you add anything else to that? What it means biblically to be a Christian? And it may even be worth just even encourage people, you know, re- re- read the book of Acts and ask yes. yourself the question. I mean, I think you can, I mean, you can do it in a lot of ways, but you could say like, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you can answer those questions as you read the all, what, 28 chapters, 26 chapters. Um, and you can even lay out like, well, what what characteristics describe what a Christian is or does? Mm-hmm. But so any would, it, would you add anything else to, what does it biblically mean to be a follower of Jesus other than hearing, understanding, hearing the gospel, understanding the gospel and responding to the gospel? Yeah, I think that's what starts the journey. Yeah. Meaning... That's what precipitates the transformation of your heart that uh, sets you on a path towards seeking God for the rest of your life and being sanctified, as I kind of said earlier, or being made holy or perfect, more like God. The process that is lifelong that you don't turn back from, that's, that's what's starting there. Yeah. I was just reminded of this passage in First Peter. Uh, First Peter 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Yeah. That totally describes like coming to Jesus and having the, the immature faith. There's a hunger. There's mm-hmm. a craving to grow up in it. It's one of my favorite things about walking in this season uh, and also meeting new believers as now it is like a little, a little bit removed. I still feel pretty fresh. Yeah. Um, but the fire that is in the hearts of new believers is contagious and exciting and thrilling. And I love it. And I've just like eaten that up. I have such a craving as we were kind of saying earlier for corporate worship, for prayer, for being in the word, for finding godly community. Like that literally has been like my heart's desire is changed and it's a craving. And so I think that's one of the biggest marks that I've noticed internally of coming to Christ. Um, yeah. Is that hunger? And really the, the hearing, understanding, responding, I mean, that just gets you to like justification. I mean that, right. I mean, that just gets you from you were dead in your sin. And at the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are now justified in the eyes of God. So the wrath of God has been satisfied 
because of the blood of Christ. And God mm-hmm. looks at you and he no longer sees your sin, but he sees what Christ mm-hmm. has done for you. Oh, praise God. So, I mean, and, and the crazy thing is, I mean, we could, we could spend hours reading and talking about just hearing the gospel, understanding yeah. the gospel, oh, boy, yeah. and responding to the, I mean, like, yeah. there's, I mean, there's, I mean, even, I forget the passage in scripture, but I think it's Luke that's like, we couldn't even write down all that Jesus did. So this, yeah. is, I mean, this is what you get. I mean, yeah. we're quite like that, but that's, but he's saying that we didn't, we, we didn't have the time. Yeah. Or, or there's I not, think that's in John. Yeah, is it John? John? Okay. So, so he, he's just like, hey, there's a lot more that Jesus did and a lot more that he said, but sorry, homie, this is all you're going to get. I mean, that's in my own yeah. words. You know, but just, you know. You should it, do a paraphrase. Yeah. <laughs> the whole Bible. That'd be no, awesome. That, there's plenty of people that have done that. And, um, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I, Yours would be comedic, though. Uh, there would be a lot of misspelled words. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's why I'm going yeah, to save the world a lot of heartache by not doing that. So um, so anyway, so just, yeah, so that's, I mean, and I've heard it said before, and I'd have to flesh this out a bit more, but just there's a, there's a macro and a micro explanation of the gospel. Hmm. Or I, I would maybe even say like hearing, understanding, and responding would be like a, like a macro, like a higher altitude perspective. But when you get down in the weeds... Well then, then we got to talk about that dead in sin, justified, yeah. and then yeah. the sanctification process begins. Yeah, and there's this obedience aspect. There's fruit in your life, and eventually you'll be you'll be glorified. And so there's that be yeah. maybe down in the weeds, but we can even get more detailed in, into that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, is it possible for a person to be born a Christian? <laughs> no. Um, I have some. Bible verses that uh, come to mind to share about that, but uh, just thinking about it logically that you have to hear, understand, and respond, a baby can't do that. Yeah. That kind of defeats the whole idea right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. So so would you say for somebody to uh, – basically have the viewpoint well like my parents are christians i i grew mm. up going to church so therefore i am a christian and they probably wouldn't say it that way but if they thought it i've heard people say that you've heard people say that so if that's the case if they were to say that would you feel confident in saying hey man based off what you just said there's n- i just want you to know that that's not biblical that's not accurate that is not true you cannot be born a christian yeah, or going yeah. to church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Yeah, or like we were saying earlier, reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Joining a Bible study doesn't yeah. make you a Christian. Doing all the yeah. right things doesn't yeah. make you a Christian. I, I mean, I remember as a young believer, I, you know, and I probably said a lot of things I shouldn't have said because I just was on fire. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was just spitting it out, you know. But I remember it's like, just like, you just need to read the Bible. If you read the Bible, you will get it and understand it. Yeah. And I'm like, that that's not necessarily true. No. Like it could be, God mm. could use that by sure. the power of the Holy Spirit, but there's aspects where I'm like, there's a lot of people that aren't believers that are reading the Bible all the time yeah, to prove how, how crazy they think we are. Yeah. So yeah. in and of itself, the word of God is important, precious, but it's just words on a page to somebody who is not illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's no different than any other book on a shelf without the Holy Spirit's work. Well, it is different in that I think the Bible says that it'll be foolishness to somebody who reads it who doesn't understand it. Yeah. So it'll be like reading a book full of foolishness to somebody <laughs> who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. yeah. who isn't 
who's still blinded by sin. So they're better off just reading a book other than the scripture. I mean, well, I, I don't I know mean, if from, I go from, that sorry, far. Sorry, from, <laughs> from, they're going to understand a book, any other book, better than they would the scripture because of the fact that the scripture would say that it's foolishness to those who don't believe in Christ. I might go that far. Yeah, that and that'd be an extreme view, and I wouldn't necessarily yeah. like say say that specifically as a you know pound the podium kind of thing or whatever. But that but that's kind of the idea that you're just trying to get at that it is it is foolishness um, to those who are not believers. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's good. What biblical truths are necessary for us to understand in order to be a Christian? And I'm not talking about like. You know, because I, I don't see anywhere in scripture where, you know, somebody sat down and like, here's the 85, you know, weeks that you need to go through whatever. And then, you know, are you, and then, and then you're a Christian. Yeah. So what's like the bare minimum? Like, like, here's the bare minimum truths that somebody would have to, that would apply technically to everybody. Anybody who's put their faith and trust in Christ, we would all have, our stories are different and unique, but the same truths that we all share as Christians. That save us. So, what would those things be? Mm-hmm. I'm open to changing my view on this, but what I think they are currently are: you have to believe that you're sinful. You have to believe that God is holy. That you're under His wrath because of that sin, and His holiness, and His holiness. You have to hear who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross, taking away your sin. And then you believe that. Yeah. We've talked a lot about this because, uh, well, just kind of talking about like unity in the church, like that's such a high value. And there's a lot of things that divide churches. Yeah. Um, and just the church in large in general. Um, and so we have come down to like, yeah, that's ultimately the unifying truth. Jesus is the thing that unifies all believers, even if we have different beliefs about communion or baptism or whatever, like very real things that I think we should be in conversation about because that's part of being in godly community. Um, But it does come down to who is Jesus, who is God, who are you? Um, I heard this thing the other day and I loved it. It was actually at a Susie Larson event. And she said, a baby Christian is cute. An immature Christian, not so much. (laughs) I very much agree. Yeah. And so I love that because I think it speaks to like, there are, that's the fundamental truth that everybody needs to to believe, to be a believer. But as you grow in faith, you need more than that. Like you have to become a mature Christian or you're not going to be cute. Yeah. Quote Susie Larson. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Are there, and I mean, the conversation problem is becoming a new Christian, and we're talking a lot about the gospel and, and the the bare necessity aspect mm-hmm. of what it means to become a, a, a genuine follower of Jesus, which, which I think is important. Um, because I think sometimes we tend to add things to it. Like even when I'm trying to convince somebody to be a Christian, I'm like, put your faith and trust in Jesus. And then that I so desperately, desperately, mm-hmm. desperately want to say, but you also need to go to church and you also need to read your Bible and you also need to pray and you also need yeah. to tithe and you also, you also need to get baptized. Well, I guess maybe I should have said baptism first before that list, mm-hmm. but then also you need to understand the power of the Holy spirit. And I mean, I could go on forever and I don't see anywhere in scripture where, where when you share your faith and somebody responds and puts their faith and trust in Jesus, 
that then there's this list given. I don't see anywhere in scripture mm-hmm. where that, at least from my understanding now, up till now, I don't see yeah. that. But it's follow me, which maybe is a concise version of all the detailed. Yeah, I guess I would maybe put that under the subcategory of response, you okay. know, like uh, hear, understand, and you respond. And that would be obedience, maybe. Yeah. Um, and there would be there would be certain things that would that should characterize every believer to some extent post salvation, and so maybe what would some of those things that would that would be fruits in the lives of a of a now new Christian that would be important to emphasize, but to make sure that we don't make that a part of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think you're getting right to the heart of it, which is that responding to the gospel is going to start those changes in you and bring obedience in all of those areas, that whole list of things that you brought up. Yeah. What that person that responds to the gospel is then going to say is, what do I do now? Yeah. Please tell me what to do. I want to do it for God. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to have a a heart that just wants to express their love toward God for what he's done for them. Yeah. No, for sure. And maybe what would be, like, let's say, for example, someone's like here that's like, hey, if I lead someone to, or if God uses me to, and somebody comes to faith in Christ, what would be some things that, to help that discipleship mm-hmm. process take? Because it's really, a, it's a discipleship conversation. Yeah. Right. Not necessarily an information or, or yeah, I, I don't know what I'm trying to, but just, it, it's it's where the discipleship journey begins. Yeah cool plug for the current sermon series we're on. That's true. Because I have three things, and it was the first two weeks of the discipleship series. Prayer, word, community. Or like worship, communal worship. Um, You need that. Yeah. Like, if you want to grow, if you want to stop, get out of being a cute baby Christian and you don't want to be an immature Christian, you need the word because you need to know who God is and what he promises and what he says and who you are. You need prayer because that's intimacy with the Lord. That's the personal relationship. You need community because people are going to call out the lies that come up because yeah. the enemy is real and he will attack you. We need community for encouragement and mm. and to help us mature and, and to grow in knowledge. And um, yeah, so I think those are the three things that I would encourage. If like you've trusted in the Lord, go yeah. pray every day, read your Bible every day and find community. Yeah. Yeah. And some of what that community looks like is... I think it's important to say that churches are biblical. Discipleship is biblical. Getting together with other Christians to learn from them, be held accountable by them in a setting like a small group or life group is biblical. Yeah, You should be seeking to do all of those things because they have value. And you should be going to the word so you can learn what that value is that you should be getting from those things. Yeah. And being able to hold other people accountable and encouraging them and prayer. Like you were saying, Mm. vital. You, you need to be in prayer because if you're, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you're not communicating with them ever, are you in relationship with them? Yeah, you're definitely not. Mm -hmm. Or if you're only friends with someone when all your other friends are around. Do you really have that much intimacy? Are they like your closest friend? Or if you go to everyone else before you go to them, are they your best friend? No. And like, God's not, he's jealous. He wants to be number one in our lives for everything. And so prayer is just like that direct line. And just like, I've been so 
grateful and just kind of in awe lately of like, wow, people in the Old Testament didn't get to go to God in prayer whenever they wanted, like when they're driving to work or, you know, like, I mean, they did good to go to prayer, but like yeah. there's a difference in what Jesus did that now we get to go to God's throne in confidence. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, um, how does, how does somebody come uh, become a believer in the New Testament? They put their faith and trust in Christ and they respond. How does somebody become a believer in the Old Testament? They put their faith and trust in the future Messiah. Yeah. yeah. And they still responded. Yeah. So it's still the same. It's just different periods in time. Mm-hmm. But even even the their uh, the Israelites' ability to approach God was yes. even more limited then. Than That's it what is I'm talking now, about. Yeah. yeah. Which is interesting. I think I've heard the curtain when it was torn. I, I could be wrong, but I think so, I read a commentary once that said it was like seven inches thick. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. The curtain that was torn when when Christ was crucified, and and That's I could be wrong, but just the, that that New Testament emphasis of the fact that in order, to, sorry, and that was the curtain that separated the holies from the most holy. Yes. Yeah. And so the felt presence of God in Israel is that's that's where it was. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We get to walk into that. Yeah. Because of Jesus. So just the so the manifestation of that or, or or the access to that, the only limiting factor maybe now I would say is the fact that if you don't put your faith and trust in Christ, you will never you will never know yeah. that. Yeah. But once you put your faith and trust in Christ and you respond, you can now experience the full manifestation yeah. of that. Well, I can't even say full manifestation because it's gonna be different after you die. Right. right. Yeah. So so it's as good as it's gonna get. <laughs> I love know? that. It's like it's like baptism. Yeah. It's like is this a perfect image of what Christ has done in us? No, but it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's as good as it's going to get now. You know, for us as believers, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And so. we're not even talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit here. I feel like we need to give him a shout out because like the spirit of the living God is inside us. Our bodies are the temple now. Like yeah. I just, I've just been in awe. Like, wow, I get to go to God in prayer whenever I want. Yeah. And he cares and he wants to hear everything on my heart. Like he's a God of details. I'm just, I've been just kind of stunned lately. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Can we become a Christian and then do whatever we want with our lives? Which I feel like this is so dumb of a question, <laughs> but yet I feel like the, the importance of bringing clarity and simpl- simplicity to, to the conversation about, you know, becoming a Christian is just super important. So, um, yeah, go ahead. I defer to Romans. <laughs> I'm assuming it's going to be in one of the six. first three chapters. Romans 6. Okay, okay, that's a good one too. Go, go ahead. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it in it any longer? Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes on to explain it more, but I think that gives you the gist of it, that it just simply doesn't make sense to be alive in Christ and go on sinning, doing whatever you want. Yeah. If you truly have understood the gospel, if your heart has truly been transformed, if you've truly been indwelt by the Holy Spirit and are seeking God with this new transformed heart, this new transformed life, you, it's just incompatible with doing whatever you want. It's only compatible with seeking the Lord and seeking to obey Him. Yeah. Yeah. And with the Spirit regenerating us and like giving us a, a new heart like we then get to hate sin and desire and love righteousness and so like there is a active transformation like not only does it not make sense but like it's not even a desire to 
to yeah. keep going on in sin. And I feel even the need to interpret this passage maybe a little bit deeper because I wouldn't want somebody to think that, well, if you sin on a, which we all sin on a regular basis. Yeah. So whatever yeah. that yeah. means, whatever regular basis means for you, that doesn't, it doesn't mean if you, if you continue to sin that you're not a genuine follower of Jesus. Correct. I think the point this particular passage is trying to make that if you're like, you know what? Yeah, I could honor God or I could just, uh, but I'm just, I'm just going to do what I want. If there is a habitual lifestyle mm-hmm. where that is your heart, mind, attitude, and if that's as, as good as your expression to live for God is, then there's a good chance you're not a Christian. Yeah. I kind of, I think about it like this, that as being, being a person who is dead to sin, I'm mostly concerned with loving God, trying to obey him. That's my desire. Yeah. But I'm still in this body where there is sin. I'm still in this world where there's sin. And I'm going to do things that are contrary to that desire. Sometimes I'm going to do some things that are contrary to the will of the Holy Spirit, contrary to the will of God, contrary to that, that will that I have to follow God and revert back to fleshly desires at times. But it's going to look very, very different from a person who is devoted at all times yeah. to gratifying the flesh, as yeah. it says. No, for sure. Mm-hmm. What are some, and we talked, we hinted towards some of these, but what are some spiritual disciplines that every Christian should have, no matter, I mean, no matter who you are? If you're a follower of Jesus, there's some spiritual disciplines. And I don't know if the scripture would. I don't think spiritual di- there's disciplines the scripture talks about. I don't think spiritual disciplines that phrase is necessarily a, a biblical terms like like Trinity, but it still helps to summarize just things that the Bible would would say that this should be characteristic of a mm-hmm. follower of Jesus. So, what would some of those things be other than that? We things we already talked about about prayer, being involved in community. Uh, There's a couple that we talked about, but what, Lord, yeah, yeah, diving into scripture, knowing the word, memorizing the word. What would be some other spiritual disciplines that we could? There could be, I mean, a, a long list, I guess, of, of biblical things that we could be living out. But what would be some others that you would emphasize? I think the big category that I would add to that is worship. Yeah. And you're not saying just singing music. I think that is something that it can be expressed as, but I would put it as expressing gratitude for what God has has done for you or saying true things about God in a, a way that is worshipful, in a way that is directly supposed to bring glory to God. That's all you're trying to do mm-hmm. is worship him for his amazing qualities and joyfully express yourself to him, directly to him for all the wonderful things that he's done and who he is. Yeah, And I think you can do that through song. I think you can do that through dance. I think there are biblical examples and perhaps even commands to do those things. Uh, I think you can do it through prayer. And I think the Psalms are a great example mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. That sometimes they're just praying to glorify God. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to things that you might do to worship God? I guess I'm thinking about Titus and Josh and the podcast they talk because they unpacked worship quite a bit too. And I, honestly, yeah. you said some of the same things, but yeah, yeah, I'm just, Go back and listen if you haven't heard that one. <laughs> yes, uh, episode two, I believe. Yeah, and maybe the the uh, it'd be the same 
uh, nuggets that I would say, but maybe a different category that you you could say would be like a, you're you're a living sacrifice. You know, yeah. Romans twelve would say yes. that we. And I remember sitting in a preaching team thing one time with some with some folks in Austin, and we were uh, the pastor was uh, at the time was going to preach on that passage, and I remember thinking, yeah, like God wants us to bring our sac- the things in our lives, like you know, to sacrifice to him. And then, and then he nicely rebuked, not rebuked me, but corrected me on the passage. It says that we are. Yeah. So it's not talking about like bring, you know, don't, it's not saying dedicate your kid to the Lord in that specific passage. It's not saying like bring something to the Lord as a sacrifice. It's saying that you yourself are the sacrifice and to clarify, that doesn't mean human sacrifice in the weird. <laughs> anyway, that's not. Yeah, that's not what that means. It means that we're a living sacrifice. Yes. So, as in, we ourselves are are saying, okay, get we're open handed, and saying, God, you do whatever you want to do, and I'll be obedient. Yes. And so it was a. I hated the fact that he had to correct me because it made me mad. But now <laughs> I remember, and so I can good correction. Whoever's listening can can experience my yes. my error. And that was just a couple of years ago. So anyway. That, that's opening my eyes a little bit, actually, because I hadn't connected that to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And thinking about it, obviously, they would get that connection in terminology, being that uh, primary audience is probably Jews. Yeah. The, the sacrifices in the Old Testament were an expression of devotion to God. And now we get to be that sacrifice. And how many times in the Old Testament was God displeased with their sacrifices because they weren't doing the things that they wanted, uh, that God wanted them to do in yeah. the first place. But now we get to just be the sacrifice yeah. doing those things, walking in the spirit. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So I love, I love that. And I think going back to that idea of first fruits, you know, I'm just grieved. I'm grieved at how much, I mean, in my life too, but I hear it all the time. God gets the scraps at the end of the day. Yeah. We pour our hearts out and everything like for God, maybe in relationships at work and whatever. And then we get home, we're exhausted and maybe you read the Bible, maybe you pray before you go to bed. Yeah. But like our bodies are a living sacrifice. What would it look like to give him the first fruits? And how much greater? And like what blessings you would experience and energy and strength and peace and love and, and just, yeah. let's give our first fruits. I, I would agree. Yeah, I analogy one time, uh, uh, Pastor Brandon Austin, he was trying to make the point of like, don't give God your leftovers. So he yes. was eating a chicken wing and it was, you know, <laughs> and then he was like, okay, God, here you go. Like, like he, you know, what you get, I mean, for me, I get like half a bite off a chicken wing, but you know, he he gave this half-eaten. He was like, "Well, you take you take this," and everyone would be like, "No, man, don't give me that." Like, and he was just making the point. Like, I love mm-hmm. it. We do that with God all the time, and and God's gracious and He's merciful, and and you know, and we're gonna mess up, and that's fine. Which is why repentance should be a habitual yeah. um, response in our lives. There's, for you know, sure, we could you could you could say that when you repent for the first time, that gets you into the family of God, so to speak. But then that same repentance is what reminds you of that gospel that saved you that you actually must continue to rely upon. So it's not like repentance 
once you repent and respond for the first time, repentance then becomes an aspect of not for a salvific perspective or salvific need, but for a need to remember our, our place. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, I was thinking if I agree with what I just said. I think I agree. <laughs> I saw the confusion. <laughs> I was like, ah, da, da. yeah, yeah. So, um, does, does a person need to clean up their life in order to become a Christian? And what I mean by clean up their life is do they've got to like do better? You know, I, I, you know, I grew up in a pretty broken home. So drugs, alcohol, all the rampant things, you know, I feel like if you're sons of anarchy is a show, I wouldn't actually recommend it at all, but, but that, that was, that was kind of like, you know, my life in a sense, at least that's how I remember a lot of it. And so I think many people have this perspective. Well, like if I'm going to come to God, if I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to be put my faith and trust and respond, then I've got to, I've got to take care of a couple things first. <laughs> is there even is there even a, a, a passage of scripture that you could even use to justify if that is actually a biblical thing at all? No, 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 no. <laughs> like that is one of the biggest things that I see. Yeah. Like when when we're trying to like share the gospel with people and they want to respond to it, like you can tell there's a desire. The number one barrier I see, followed probably only by what we talked about earlier, people thinking that God couldn't love them, that they mm-hmm. are too sinful, is I need to clean up my life first. Yeah. Then God, then I'm good enough to be accepted by God. We don't earn anything. That is clear in Scripture. There is yeah. absolutely nothing that you can use to justify cleaning up your life before coming to Christ because God does all the work. Christ has done all the work. And he's going to continue to do that work in, in sanctification after you come to him, after he transforms you. Amen. Preach. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so this this last question here before we wrap up our time um, is not to create, and not, not, I'm not fearful in any way of what the discussion is, how it's going to lead, but I, it's not a debate between if you're if you're a big C or a big A in the context. Of, and what I mean by you're either a Calvinist uh-huh. or a Minion or however you, however you say those words. That's not the point in this conversation, this question, excuse me. But what is God's role in a new believer's life, and what is the person's role? So so yeah. somebody puts yeah. their faith and trust, so they so they hear the gospel, they understand the gospel the best as they possibly can, and then they, they respond. What's God's role in that, and what's, what's uh, that individual's role in that? And I understand people mm-hmm. have been debating this forever and, you know, I'm just, and it's fine. I'm not too worried about it. I um, I think it's a fun conversation to have, but yet what's God's role and what's our role in this? I think I can mostly speak to that without touching too any debates there. <laughs> that our role would be humility, submission, and obedience. And God's role would be doing everything. <laughs> yeah. And in that he will work in and through us. He's done the work in saving us. He's going to continue to uh, do the work in us to sanctify us in our lives. And it's our job to, in faith and in hope for the future, submit to his will and be obedient to him. I agree. In in my mind, oftentimes I'm like, it's 99% God. And like 0.01% me. Because there is a response that yeah. I, I have to provide a response. There is a choice. Humility, we submission, obedience. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I agree. 
Um, and maybe I should add a third category. What's a, what is a, um, a believer's role in that? Cause they're, they're maybe the middleman, so to speak, maybe, you know, so there's, there's people who, who have not put their faith and trust in Christ. And then, and then, uh, there are those who have, and so and so for somebody to go from being enslaved to sin to living holy, living for the Lord, to be a genuine follower of Christ. To my understanding, the only way that that happens is it's the work of God, but it's through people's lives who are already followers of Jesus that are that God is using to bring about that result. Yeah. And so what would be that the middleman, so to speak, if for I mean for us mm-hmm. Christians, for our church, mm-hmm. what is our role as believers who are already in the family of God, what is our role in this process of seeing somebody going from death to life? Or maybe even what's our biblical mandate or God's mm-hmm. specific request of us? I mean, you could even go so far to say his demand or command of us. Anyway. I have some ideas, and, and hopefully Matt can fill in the gaps. First of all, I think we have a responsibility to be prayerful. Like, before you even talk to people, like, if you know somebody in your life, in your family, your friends, coworker, yeah. that doesn't know Christ, start praying, start praying now, and pray, like, hard. Yeah. Um Ask God to soften their hearts. Ask God to give you wisdom, discernment, give you the, like, put words in your mouth. Yeah. So much of um, I think encouraging people to know Christ, not always. I'll go back to the original thought. So much of encouraging people to know Christ, I think, is about the relationship. Do they trust you? Do they yeah. Do they allow you to speak into their life? Do they believe what you have to say? Do they see a difference in your life? So I think there is a, one, be prayerful, two, make sure you're in Christ and make sure that you're living out the fruits of the Spirit and that you're walking in obedience because people will notice and they will get curious because they'll see that something's different. And I think we can, we can be a, someone once said, this is so cool. uh, We will be the only Bible that some people ever read. Like, wow, what responsibility we have to be out in the world and to be the God's yeah. God's light. Um, but I think that is so powerful in meeting people where they're at, meeting them in their brokenness, meeting them in their pain, meeting them in their suffering, and being able to show the love of Christ. Yeah. Um, you got to be in the Word because you got to know what it says. And so I, I've been really convicted lately to be memorizing Scripture so that I can go out and, and be intentional about sharing the truth with people because God's word is powerful. And we've kind of talked about this, but like I, his word changes hearts. He changed mine. And um, of course the spirit draws us, but those are my initial thoughts. That's good. I think I'm going to read what I think you were hinting at, which is uh, Matthew 28, uh, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, God gives us the opportunity to be a part of Mm -hmm. bringing people from death to life. 
He works in and through us to first in our lives, transforming us, letting us be salt and light in the world, examples for people of what it means to be a follower of Christ, of what that transformation looks like, of the joy it brings, of the hope it brings. And then we get to share that with other people, teach others, baptize them even. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And to not be a part of that process would be disobedience. Yes. Yeah. And you miss out on blessings. Like God's powerful, God's sovereign, God's going to work, whether yeah. you want to be a part of it or not. And so you're going to receive blessing on blessing if you're yeah. just obedient and like quick to obey. Yeah, I've got a couple of fears in life. Uh, one of them is that I will be, I don't think I can change God's sovereignty. <laughs> you know, I think he's going to do his thing with or without me. And yeah. I don't know how that works out but I don't really care either, yeah. you know? So, but the fear I have is that God will, will have to overlook me to use somebody else yeah, because I'm not obedient. Yes. And I don't know how that, I don't know if I'll ever know. I don't know how that practically lives out, but I, I would rather be obedient. So when the time comes in whatever format or fashion, such a time as this, that all that God can be like, all right, homie, I'm going to use you. Yes. And so, it's still 100% God's sovereignty and what He desires. Um, but I kind of want to be involved in that. Yeah, me too. More right. than. Yeah. So I guess the point maybe I'm trying to make is for those who, and I don't necessarily feel the need to give specifics, but if you're not a part of the discipleship making process in the context of a local church, you are being disobedient. And I'm not saying you're not a believer, uh, but but I'm saying you are not living out the full command of what God is calling you to do. Mm-hmm. And and but I would maybe say that could be evidence that you may not be a believer. Yeah. Right. Um, because there should be, a, yeah, a strong desire. And if, if someone doesn't know Christ, your heart should be broken. Yeah. Like utterly broken. Like, yes, we respect people's decisions to choose. We respect that. Yeah. And you should maintain a, a broken heart and can in persistence and maintaining relationships with people. Yeah. And what both of you were talking to uh, about missing out on a blessing from not being obedient to that mm-hmm. uh, command to go out and make disciples of, of all the nations and to be salt and light in the earth. Uh, I think of James five nineteen. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover mm-hmm. over a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. Like you can miss out on that blessing yeah. of helping, of God working through you to turn somebody from their sin and go from death to life. That's amazing. That's an yeah. amazing blessing that you don't yeah. want to miss out on. And it, yeah, it so impacts my faith to see other people's faith and to hear about their stories and, and to be involved in that process. It strengthens my faith and it's, it yeah. helps me remember, even if it's not for me or in my life, like, wow, God is so faithful. God is so persistent. He is just relentless with us. And that's so encouraging when you see that in other people's lives too. Yeah, no, for sure. No, I appreciate you guys. I So, uh, is it appropriate to mention this little writing project that you've been diving into, Matt? Should we 
bring this up a little bit? I mean, I tend sure, to already brought sure. it up. Yeah. But so, so this kind of desire, I think, or this topic came up because you're, you basically just decided to do a research paper <laughs> that turned into a book on what is the gospel, right? Basically, yeah. And so what, what brought about that desire for you to do that? I mean, there's a lot of books about that and what is the gospel, you know, yeah. and stuff. And, and so, so what, what was the, the heart and desire behind, behind you kind of diving into this particular topic in your own walk with the Lord? Yeah. It's kind of twofold. One, one aspect of it is that um, my, my church background growing up, there wasn't an emphasis on sin that there wasn't a full gospel. And I wanted to write to that. I wanted to speak to that. I wanted to bring a full knowledge of the gospel. And I think something that is maybe missed in the New Testament is that a lot of times the gospel is being preached to people that already know they're sinful, that already have the law, that are already very aware that they're not living up to the law. So they're very religious. Sure. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. But I think that's something that's missing now is people are not aware of the law that they're not living up to and in that they're not aware of, of sin. And so that was part of the desire in this book is to bring a knowledge of sin so that I could bring a knowledge of of the gospel, of the good news that Christ took yeah. that sin onto himself. And so the background and then... Uh, I was watching some evangelism videos and, and just really wanting to fulfill the Great Commission in Matthew that I, that I read a little bit earlier. And this is just the way I, was, I felt called to do it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the full gospel, and it made me think, for me, just to tell people that God loves them is not enough. No. No. I heard that my entire life, and, and it didn't bring me to Jesus. And I don't know if it will. It could, I mean, I guess it could be used by, it's a part of it. It's a yes. piece. Yes. Yeah. But for me to tell you you're sinful or the phrase I think of is, you know, you're a piece of trash, you know, that's just the phrase I think of <laughs> not saying you too, just, just generically, just to clarify. But for me to tell people, Hey, you're sinful. That, that's not sufficient enough. No, no. Now maybe, maybe, it, you know, maybe, maybe I express that and somebody else helps complete the full picture maybe you know so however god does that that's fine but um but even for me to just to say that hey you know christ died for your sins that that's technically not even sufficient enough no no why does he have to die for your sins yeah it's because i'm sinful right right and what does it accomplish yeah yeah there's justification before god and the removal of his wrath yeah yeah it pieces the wrath of god yes that's you know, that's the one line that I feel like is most often missed in that simple version of the gospel. Like you can't, you can't skip that part. That's not something that's like in the details in the weeds that has to be in the simple giving of the gospel that like Christ died, you're sinful, God's holy. He sent Jesus and Jesus died on the cross to appease God's wrath for your sins. Like in that act, God is perfectly loving in, in giving that gift to you and perfectly just in having the the penalty of your sins paid for. Yeah. Yeah. And And even if we were to explain you're sinful, Christ is the answer, you know, uh, and 
and that's how you have access to God. But there still is the piece where you you have to invite somebody to respond. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so just this, yeah, just the phrase full gospel. There, For us as a church, just to tell people that God loves you will never lead people to Christ in and of itself. No. No. And so just, or even just any of those pieces in and of themselves is, is not sufficient enough to take somebody from, from death to life. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I'm talking, I'm processing out loud as I yeah. say this, cause I just, yeah. it was a trigger word for me for, in a good way, like yeah. the full gospel. Um, I, I understand sometimes people have a fear that if you share the full gospel, people are going to be turned off. People will run away. People won't. But if you go to like the parable of the sower, it's only people yeah. who understand the gospel that can respond to it yeah. and can be the type of seed that endures persecution, isn't distracted by wealth, isn't distracted by the things of the world. It has mm-hmm. to be the full gospel. It has to be, I'm a sinner. It has to be, God's wrath is upon me because of that. And it has to be, Christ died. He died for me because of that. And now, that wrath is no longer upon me. He took God's wrath onto himself yeah. and offered me eternal life. It has to be all of that. Yeah. yeah. And again, I know we said this earlier, but just in case people forgot, we don't save people. The Holy Spirit does. Mm-hmm. But we do have a responsibility to speak the whole truth and to share the whole gospel. That's a part of the Great Commission is encouraging people to know and, and really understand so that it takes root. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for conversation about yeah this is awesome becoming a new christian i got i got got like a thousand more questions i could ask we could just talk all night well (laughs) we are an hour and a half in so uh and wow Wow. so i do appreciate it and your guys's heart desire and what the lord has been doing in you and has done in you and it's yeah uh, it's fun to see so i appreciate you guys very Mm -hmm. much thanks for having us appreciate you too Thanks for joining us for this episode of the House on Fire podcast. Our prayer is that this podcast activates your home for Jesus. May the light of Christ burn bright through you and yours. Until next time.